0: Listening to Messy Jesus Business, a podcast about radical gospel living. Hey everyone, I'm Sister Julia Walsh, a writer, spiritual director, and jail minister living in Chicago. Welcome to The Mess. I've been blogging at MessyJesusBusiness.com since 2010. Messy Jesus Business, the blog, and now the podcast, explores how the mess of radical gospel living brings disciples into a life of struggle as we advocate for social justice, live simply, serve others, practice contemplation, and live in community. Now, on to our guest. Father Adam Bucko has been a committed voice in the movement for the renewal of Christian contemplative spirituality and the growing New Monastic Movement. He has taught engaged contemplative spirituality in Europe and the United States and co-authored two books, Occupy Spirituality, A Radical Vision for a New Generation, and The New Monasticism, an interspiritual manifesto for contemplative living. He is co founder of the Reciprocity Foundation, a nonprofit organization through which he has worked with homeless youth in New York City for 15 years. He currently serves as a director of the Center for Spiritual Imagination at the Episcopal Cathedral of the Incarnation in Garden City, New York and is a member of the community of the Incarnation, a new monastic community which teaches contemplative spirituality by responding to the cries of the poor and the earth. In today's episode of Messy Jesus Business, Father Adam Bucko and I discuss his vocation and commitment to new monasticism. We talk about how to pray, even if you don't believe in God. We touch on why people leave the church and how Christians can respond. And we get into the mess of how some Christian churches are practicing idolatry instead of being Christ-like. Enjoy. Hi, Father Adam. Welcome to Messy Jesus Business.
1: Hey, how are you? It's so good to have this conversation with you, my old friend.
0: I'd like to jump right into your story, to the journey of Father Adam Bucko, which I know as a wavering international story involving all sorts of spiritualities and peoples. But here you are today, a uh, father, Adam Bucko, a priest in the Episcopal tradition, and the director of the Center for Spiritual Imagination, as well as a member of the Community of Incarnation at the Episcopal Cathedral in Long Island, New York. So, how did you end up becoming this guy and you know how really how does your vocation in, involve contemplation justice and service
1: well so you know my journey into priesthood uh, was a long one uh, it took uh, i would say a couple of decades i feel like the first time that i began sensing some kind of a calling towards priesthood and also towards contemplation was when I was a child Um, and as you know I grew up in Poland I was born in 1975 so uh, quite a bit of my growing up happened before the totalitarian system there collapsed Uh, so I experienced you know living in a totalitarian society And I also as a child witnessed some really heroic priests um, who were speaking truth to power, who were uh, people who combined deep prayer and action on behalf of us, the people. And so I think early on as I became fascinated with some of their stories, I just wanted to be like them uh and i remember uh, which apparently is not an unusual experience for those who end up uh, in priesthood but i remember as a kid you know uh, creating this kind of a little church at home and pretending that I'm a priest you know organizing my friends actually recently it's so funny someone emailed me from Poland one of my old childhood friends and she said you know I remember how you used to kind of organize us friends you know so so we could all play church uh, i don't quite remember that but apparently you know even my friends were part of that and so i think that early on observing those priests you know i discovered that that i kind of wanted to be like them i wanted to embody the ideals that they embodied and for me as a child you know playing church so to speak it was a real spiritual experience i very clearly remember you know, trying to basically celebrate mass as a little kid wrapped in a white blanket, you know, because I didn't have all the gadgets that, you know, (laughs) one would need and standing there and feeling like I was really standing in the presence of God. Uh, The society around me was falling apart. There was a lot of violence. There was a lot of corruption, you know, People were protesting on the streets. I remember times when our streets were filled with tanks, you know, and stuff. And so it felt like everything around me was falling apart. And yet there was this presence that I began experiencing that somehow made it all okay. And so in those priests, I saw people who said yes to that presence. And through them, I discovered that saying yes to that presence of God meant saying no to everything that violates God's compassion and God's justice in the world. And so for me, that was really a beginning of my vocation. It took a very long time, you know, to, to, to figure out how all of it can kind of fit together. The journey took many steps, but from the very beginning, I understood that the life of prayer needs to also involve activism.
0: You use the word contemplation and I wonder how you define it.
1: For me, contemplation or contemplative prayer, let's maybe start with contemplative prayer because uh, traditionally in the Christian tradition, you know, we had two terms, meditation and contemplation. Meditation was something more active that we did and then contemplation was a gift uh, that, that, that we received from God. Uh, Now, in the last 40 or so years, there have been some, uh, I would say, inventions in the Christian tradition, things like centering prayer came into being, things like Christian meditation, and even those both of those prayer techniques have roots um, in a very ancient tradition. Nonetheless, they, uh, they kind of reshape some of those old practices into a new form, and so Uh, Contemplative prayer, for me, is that place in between meditation and contemplation. It's something active that we do, uh, but we do it not to produce contemplation, because contemplation indeed is a gift, but rather to prepare ourselves to be in a space of receptivity and listening, so we can actually be properly positioned to receive the gift of God's presence in our life and then to have courage to say yes to it, right? And so for me, contemplation is that experience of being in a state of receptivity and listening, paying attention to that impulse of God in the depths of our hearts and then consenting to that and letting that, letting God live through us Uh, as much as possible in our lives. You know, so St. Augustine has this beautiful phrase in one of his sermons. He talks about deep uh, within us, in the cabin of our hearts, Mm. there is a sleeping Christ, he Mm. says. And so to me, you know, contemplative life or contemplative life in the world is a life where our practices and things that we commit to, in a sense, Help us to kind of awaken that Christ within us. And then our job is to be in a state of receptivity and consent so that Christ can begin to live, love, and maybe even sometimes protest through us,
0: right? Mm
1: -hmm. And this definition that, you know, St. Augustine had of a Christian, that a Christian is a person. Uh, through whom Christ loves, through whom Christ lives, through whom uh, Christ works, uh, and and so you see, in my definition of contemplation, which I don't think is, is unique, contemplation and action are really uh, two sides of of the same cone. In fact, contemplation is not complete unless it involves action.
0: Yeah. I like the way you described that. And it really makes me think of how when I was a young adult or a teenager or something, the the thing I was frequently praying for was union with God. I just wanted to be in union with God. And I understood that to be both a, a, a both and experience, you know, it was, it was about, feeling connected to God in prayer, but also in the ways that I was serving or being with others, the way I was loving, the way I was listening, and the work that I was doing. So I hear, I know that too. I hear that in what you're saying, but I also know that in you when I think about your vocation and how it's a co- really a combination of this contemplative life, of community, of justice making, of service. Your journey brought you to India and then later to New York and, and some other places in between working with with homeless youth. And eventually that led to this vocation of priesthood. And more than once I've called you, hey, what were you doing today? Oh yeah, I was you know, handing out sandwiches on the streets, or I was running to the hospital to visit some people who are sick. So although you're very rooted in the concepts of it, it's you take it on in your body, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that all of us, I mean, are called to really embody these teachings and Mm -hmm. to, you know, to, to, to let Christ live through us. And that's not an easy thing, right? Because all of our stuff kind of gets in the way (laughs) oftentimes
0: that's right Um, we all have egos and emotions don't we yeah
1: and and so it's a lifelong journey uh, that hopefully will bring us closer and closer to a state of yes saying yes with every like cell of our being Mm. and you know this is advent and so um in a way I mean, you know, Mary is such a beautiful example of saying yes.
0: Mm-hmm. The constant yes to God. Yeah. 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 And one of the things that you've said yes to in your life is entertaining this question, this study about new monasticism. So I wonder if you want to tell us a little bit about that and what new monasticism is and uh what's happening at the community of the incarnation uh the little the new monastic community you're involved in yes
1: yeah, so you know in terms of in terms of uh, new monasticism i think that uh there are probably a few different definitions that different people are utilizing there have been quite a few books written on on new monasticism uh there is more of an evangelical new monasticism there is um you know anglican new monasticism that especially has been pioneered in in england there is more of a celtic new monasticism that is oftentimes also connected to the anglican church in england Uh, there is interspiritual new monasticism and so on new monasticism is something simple it's essentially uh, a form of life
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that allows us to live in the world and to be committed to this kind of a contemplative life um, where we make a similar commitment that you know the monks and nuns of old did Uh, but it's happening in a different context because we understand that um, you know the context of the world continues to evolve and continues to to change so to give you an example when we look at American popular spirituality, back in the day, uh, you know, by that I mean like 20, 30 years ago, for most people, there there were essentially two different options that were available uh, if you were interested in spirituality. One was to enter a religious order or to join a monastery. And on some level, unless you were kind of an active sister, you know, it was basically you were checking out to check out and live this world so to speak and be completely committed to god and then another option was to get a job you know develop your career and then maybe do your spirituality on weekends or once a year maybe you would go to a nice conference on contemplative life or on a retreat and so what i'm seeing especially among younger people is that younger people are interested in making those deep commitments that some of the monastics of old made but at the same time they are looking for a form that does not ask them to leave the world that does not even ask them to commit to celibacy but Mm -hmm. rather where the commitments to god that they make kind of spill over you know their lives so all that they do in the world and how they show up for their relationships for how they make their living for how they serve in the world, where all of that flows directly out of that commitment to prayer and to contemplation, and so monasticism is one of the proposals for a form of life that can help people to do that. Clearly, the, there are many different proposals. Like one could become an associate of a religious order. Um, like I know you have that in your community. affiliates.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Or
1: affiliates. Mm-hmm. One could become a noblet, or one could become a new monastic. The way that I look at new monasticism is that it actually, in my view, new monasticism includes uh, also being a noblet or being connected to religious order. those in my book are uh, different ways of expressing new monastic vocation, which is essentially, uh, trying to live a religious life in the world, in the context of your relationship, in the context of your family, in the context of making a living, in the context of showing up as a healing presence in the world. And, you know, there are different forms and different proposals for how to do that, even within new monasticism. Uh, in our community, uh, the community of the incarnation, um, you know, we are kind of rooted in three different traditions, I would say. Uh, we say that we follow the Benedictine rhythm of life, uh, which sanctifies the hours of our day, You know, through the divine office. We are committed to a Carmelite way of silence and friendship with God. So even though we are in the world, we are deeply committed to each day, spending time in silence. And Carmelite spirituality is very beautiful because in a sense, it has roots in the desert but at the same time it's a spirituality that is very relational it's not just about silence it's about building friendship with god it's Mm -hmm. it's about developing this kind of passionate relationship you know uh with god as saint Teresa beautifully i you know said that in 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 her view prayer is is an intimate sharing between friends and i love that she said that each Mm -hmm. day we take time to spend time with the one who we know loves us. Mm-hmm. So you see it's silence, but it's silence that is very passionate.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then finally, the th- third tradition that we try to incorporate is your tradition, the Franciscan <laughs> tradition, mm-hmm. where we say that you know all, all of that, our silence, our prayer, our commitments, how we live our spiritual lives, all of that needs to happen in the context of hearing and responding to the cry of the poor and the cry of the earth and so this is kind of how we understand you know our vocation in the world and especially um, the active component of it is very important to us it was desmond tutu the great south african archbishop he has that beautiful teaching where he says that just justice we are all meant to be contemplatives and to hear the voice of god in our lives We are all meant to answer God's call to be God's partners in transfiguring the world. Mm -hmm. This calling, this encounter with God is always to send us into the midst of human suffering. And so for us, I mean, that's really the teaching. That's what we try to embody, you know? And Mm -hmm. even though we are deeply rooted in the Christian tradition, but at the same time, you know, we're open to other traditions Mm -hmm. we're open to learning from other traditions, like the 12th step um you know tradition which 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 is very helpful in terms of developing vulnerability courage and 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 you know learning how not to play god even other contemplative traditions you know i think that we live in a world that is very much interspiritual, in many ways that is post-religious i mean a huge hmm. percentage of young people uh identify you know as as spiritual but not religious and Mm -hmm. so our goal is to kind of translate the gifts of the christian contemplative tradition and to be able to show up in the world to help people even those who no longer uh, can find home in the church to deepen their lives to deepen their listening to deeper their sense of connection with god trusting that that experience will send them back into the world so Mm. they can uh, Mm.
0: How does, it work? How does it work, though, if someone comes to pray with you and they don't actually believe in God?
1: You know, we, we journey with them. Uh, and um, there are quite a few people, I think, that I've met in my life who, for example, attended contemplative prayer who don't believe in God. You know, the kind of contemplative prayer that we teach involves some conversation with God. So what I often tell people who don't necessarily have a sense of God's presence in their life, you know during that part of prayer speak to an imaginary friend mm. who you can imagine maybe loves you more than you've ever been loved mm. uh, mm-hmm. and what often happens is that something opens up and people begin to experience a real presence of that something that holds them that something that loves them that's something that encourages them Um, well, that
0: makes sense, yeah. And I mean, the Ignatians, the excuse me, the Jesuits, Ignatian prayer teaches us a lot about the power of imagination and prayer, so that makes a lot of sense to me. So, you mentioned this, um, you know, that we're in a post religious age and that so many young people are now identifying as spiritual but not religious or nuns, n o n e s. And so, um, I'm wondering what's your take? And why people are leaving Christianity, and, and how are we supposed to respond to that?
1: So I think that, uh, I mean, I think that there are many different reasons for why people are leaving the church. Oftentimes when officials of the church comment on that, uh, oftentimes what we hear is that young people are you know getting secular or 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 they're leaving the church because they're no longer interested in god i don't believe that's true at all uh, actually when you look at the studies of young people and and their spirituality it's very clear that young people are very much interested in spirituality they're very much interested in in deepening their experience of this sacred uh, but for many of them and i hear that all the time People are leaving the church because they felt that, you know, God has left the building, the tabernacle is empty, and it's Mm. easier to meet God in other settings, like Mm. nature, like serving the poor, like standing up for justice, Mm
0: -hmm. opposing
1: racism, you know. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so I think that the church needs a little bit of a reality check, (laughs) Uh, needs to kind of, you know, uh, maybe begin to listen to what young people are saying.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, because I believe that the church could play a very important role in what's to come. But so far, I'm not really seeing a lot of promising examples of the church being willing to uh, to go beyond its arrogance, really.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so-
1: yeah. I remember, you know, many years ago when I had a Jesuit spiritual director, I remember we were sitting at a big Jesuit university and he was telling me about the place, the seminary when he was trained for priesthood. He said at that time, you know, it was like maybe 200 seminarians. Right now, he said at this particular moment in time, there are maybe like 10 or 15 and he said, I don't know if all of them are going to make it. And he said, and yet, look at this, look around, we have this amazing tradition, but it needs to be translated. Mm. It needs to maybe even take a new form because we're very much aware that we have this gift, but somehow that gift needs to be offered differently uh, in a way that it could serve the future. And I think the church does have a lot of gifts, but we're so attached to our forms. We're so attached to our certain, you know, like this sense that we know the truth. And I think at this point, I mean, a lot of things are collapsing in the world, our social institutions and also our religious institutions. And so this is the time to be humble and to accept that God might be speaking through all of those people who are knocking on our doors and are saying, What do you have that I could learn from? But just so you know, you know, I don't necessarily feel I'm going to end up in the church.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, a lot of what you're saying makes sense to me um, as far as when you think about the big brushstrokes of church history and how, my goodness, Christianity <laughs> and, every, and every other major world religion has always been... Um, evolving you know it's been in development it's been deepening expanding adapting uh even uh some of the christian holidays that we know of are connected to re- other religions christmas for example is connected to solstice
1: See, mm-hmm. i think in the past we looked like in the church we we basically said our mission should be to like mm-hmm. make new disciples right mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And, and I think that in this day and age, uh, we need to revisit that because I believe that the church has, you know, the mission is twofold. Number one, yes, you know, like we need to be able to like the, the Christianity has a lot of tools to be able to initiate people into an experience of God as God is experienced in Christ. Uh And then we have a set of teachings, you know, contemplative prayer practices and and great theological tools that can help people to follow that journey. So I think that that is still true. Uh But in addition to that, I think that at this point in history, Christianity also needs to be able to show up. The church needs to be show up for all the spiritual but not religious and with humility say actually we don't know what's going on here but a lot of people say they feel called to this new way maybe the holy spirit is doing something there Mm. and so we are here showing up with all the gifts that we have Mm. ready to give them freely without expecting that people you know that our membership will that on sundays all of a sudden you know our (laughs) sleep will you know, will attract more people. It's not about that. Mm -hmm. We're offering those gifts
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and are committing to being in a dialogical relationship with the new generation Mm -hmm. uh, with an understanding that God might be doing something else and that, you know, whatever we have might be used in ways that we can't even imagine yet
0: Mm -hmm. and that
1: all of that together will somehow serve the future,
0: Mm -hmm. right? So, you don't know where we're going, but you have a sense I that, it... <laughs> yeah. I mean... yeah, it sounds like I mean... though you know you have a sense of the disposition we're called to take, which is a disposition of humility and offering,
1: yeah, yeah. I think that, I mean, I think that Christianity ultimately is a religion of like self spending, <laughs> mm. And so I don't think we should all of a sudden think that it's about preservation when mm-hmm. when it's actually about pouring out whatever mm-hmm. we have.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And
1: so I think that anytime we show up mm-hmm. in that kind of a way, that's what we're here to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds uh so christ-like too right you know jesus jesus was a jew and he offered himself in this uh in a violent you know through his violent execution he gave up his whole body his whole self his life and through the the self-giving act of of his love something new was able to be born something beautiful yeah and we're called to be christ-like and called to give of ourselves totally as a church as the body of christ without having any clue what's going to come of that
1: i mean when you look at his earthly journey he wasn't exactly a success story right
0: yeah Mm -hmm. i mean
1: he was executed on on a cross Mm -hmm. that's not you know a very kind of glorious uh as far as his society. Mm-hmm. So
0: that's
1: right. right. <laughs> I don't know why all of a sudden we're like so concerned about preserving our institutions mm-hmm. and,
0: mm-hmm. and, you
1: know, building mm-hmm. platforms and, mm-hmm. you know, improving our uh, social media marketing. Okay, right.
0: I wonder <laughs> if we've lost, uh, if, you know, if there's sort of this tendency, like you're using the word preservation for us, um, as a community sometimes to get, uh, read, make idols of our traditions almost. I mean, the, our, our traditions are holy and sacred, and they can be important ways, pathways to God and ways for us to serve. But on the other hand, if they're getting in the way of us being Christ-like, then they're not instruments uh, for yeah, for the greater only, good.
1: Exactly, because they only are good to the point that they can Take us into that experience of, mm-hmm. of, of
0: Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're yeah. not
1: doing that, then perhaps there's very little use for them. So I would like to think that that's what we need to do as a church. We need to reevaluate everything from that perspective, you know?
0: Mm. Yeah. Like I always say, just keep your eyes on Jesus on the cross <laughs> and then you'll have some answers. <laughs> yeah, when we,
1: when we look at some of the early disciples, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, they weren't talking in terms of strategic plans. I mean, it mm-hmm. took them what a couple of hundred of years to like build the first real kind of church, the way mm-hmm. that we think of church today. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. And
1: we're so concerned about our properties. We're so concerned about mm-hmm. our money. We're so concerned about our statistics and and numbers. You know, mm-hmm. look, as long as we can be on the streets serving.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and we're actually like literally able to die because that's what Jesus taught us to do. Exactly. For the sake for the sake of others. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, so Adam, in the midst of all this, what is, uh, what are you learning about what discipleship is?
1: I mean, I think discipleship is essentially about taking steps towards that kind of attitude. And in my experience, that's a lifelong journey. Maybe other people are better students than me, you know, because I think that to change even little things in my life, uh, takes a very long time. And it takes a lot of support from mentors, uh, from peers. Uh, And in my case, I, I know I need to have a committed, you know, prayer life, which means that every day I need to spend time with God every day. I need to, you know, be journeying with other people and be encouraged by others, you know, um, then be connected to sacraments and, And still some days it's difficult to get out of bed in the morning. But I think for me, that's what discipleship is about taking steps towards allowing that, that Christ within to live and love through us. And in that, you know, essentially learning how to say yes in a more complete way every day. And it's a choice that I believe we have to make every single day.
0: It sounds to me like part of what, what you do in your journey of discipleship is, you know, you, you know, yourself and you know, sort of who God, what things work for you to help you be healthy and holy and happy.
1: I don't know about Holly, but, you know, <laughs> you know but, but it took me, you know, I am 45 years old mm-hmm. And it took me a long time Mm. to to even really learn what my daily rhythm needs to be, you know, and 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 I think that. You know, in the Christian tradition, I mean, I, I, I would say that it's like Christian tradition is a package deal. It has all those things, you know, like the daily office private prayer you know the sacraments and 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 the eucharist like all of it it's actually when you when you study the history of spiritual you know like christian spirituality i mean it's like it's a form that works
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but there are very few places i think where that form is actually taught
0: Mm. yeah you know
1: And so I think that for many of us, especially for many of us who are doing contemplative work, uh, who are committed to the contemplative renewal uh, in the Christian tradition or like even ecumenically, you know, Mm -hmm. like, or or in an interfaith or interspiritual context. I think for many of us, it actually took quite a long time to discover what that form is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because a lot of those things, I don't know if they've been forgotten, but certainly a lot of those things have not been taught. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, there's a famous story when um, when I think uh, a priest, you know, who like, I don't know, back in the 70s or something like that, he was in seminary. Uh, near Spencer's Massachusetts, which is where the Centering Prayer Movement in many ways was born with Father Thomas and others um, who were developing it. And Thomas particular...
0: Keating, for the yes. listeners, if they don't know, Thomas Keating.
1: Thomas Keating. Um, and, you know, this particular person read something about contemplation
0: mm-hmm. while
1: being a seminarian. And he asked the professor, like, you know, like, could you tell us something about contemplation? And the professor responded, that's not something that we mess with. That's for those boys at Spencer. You know, they can (laughs) do that. Um, Because that's a Trappist monastery, right? And so I think for a long time, you know, we lost connection with all these gifts uh, that are really like lifelines for us Mm -hmm. uh, as disciples, as Christians, as people who are serious about following God.
0: Yeah.
1: And so it's only, I think, in the last few decades that some of those things were rediscovered. Uh, and I have to say, a lot of that has been rediscovered as Christian monastics started interacting with monastics from other traditions, especially from the East. Mm-hmm. Uh, Buddhist monks, Hindu monks, you know, Sufi teachers, and etc. Uh, and as young people started knocking on doors of different monasteries saying like this is what i learned from the buddhists what's your meditation practice like Mm. and at Mm. first a lot of those monks you know some of them just freaked out Mm. and thought that you know people from the east are basically you know like stealing our kids and i mean there are quite a few people in the church who still think that which I obviously don't subscribe to right then there are some other monastics who said let's re-examine our tradition let's read classics like the cloud of unknowing let's read all of those teachings from uh, John Cassian on what it means to 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 have a pure heart and to pray without ceasing right Mm -hmm. let us re-examine Saint Teresa and Saint John of the Cross Mm -hmm. Uh, To see whether they have something for us that we could utilize that we could teach Mm, and so I think that that's very important that all all of that, you know, is kind of being reimagined right now. Mm. Uh, And I think that also you know those new forms or newer forms that that came out initially because they were taught to people who have been formed in traditions. Oftentimes those forms were taught as standalone, uh, practices. So, you know, all you have to do is just do centering prayer or whatever. Now our situation changed because most of the people who are interested in those, uh, prayer methodologies have no background in the church or, or, or not that familiar with the Christian tradition or not that familiar with scriptures, which means that the baseline is very different. And hmm. that also means that we have to reconnect some of those practices of contemplation to other practices to make sure that we're offering what traditionally our Christian tradition saw as the kind of complete package, right?
0: Yeah. So does that mean you're also doing catechizing as you're teaching practices?
1: Yeah, I mean, so in our community, you know, um, if someone is interested in joining uh Uh, the community, they go through a three-year-long formation process. But also, um, you know, our prayer practices are not just the practice of contemplation. It's also uh, divine office. It's also Ignatian examine. It's spending time with scripture. But it's also being in psychotherapy, being in spiritual direction, spending an extended period of time each year uh, in retreat um you know doing works of mercy but also being involved in 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 systemic change understanding that just serving is not enough mm-hmm. so we try to kind of take the best of our tradition uh to also look at how historically some of those things have been offered and to make sure that we offer something that is well integrated
0: mm-hmm. also
1: all of our people you know commit to working in a small group uh to you know this thing that comes both from the Benedictine, but also Franciscans use that phrase, uh, ongoing conversion of life, right? Mm-hmm. And so for us, the ongoing conversion life methodology is being in a small twelve-step group, okay. not necessarily for any specific addictions. Even though people who uh, who are struggling with specific addictions are encouraged to.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: you know, to, to, to obviously seek help for that, but for what Father Thomas, uh, you know, called just for recovering from the human condition.
0: Yeah, I, <laughs> it reminds me, you know, there's these visitation sisters in um, in Minneapolis, and I interviewed Stina Kilsmeyer-Cook about her book. She talks, describes in that book um, how one of the sisters who, who recently deceased actually started a uh, a 12 step recovery group for people recovering from white supremacy. <laughs> yeah, I need absolutely. to join a group like that because it, it yeah, is, absolutely. right? Absolutely. We all have things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know,
1: our small groups focus at first kind of generally, but then mm-hmm. uh, on specific issues like mm-hmm. white supremacy or also things like, you know, our connection with the earth and our consumer.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah consumerism or technology. There's a lot of things that get in our way of being close to God. So Adam, one last question for you. Living this contemplative life, this life of community, living a vocation of service as well, uh, what's messy about it all for you?
1: I think everything is messy. You know, this is, I think, in a way, uh, the nature of our lives that, you know, there's surprises every single day, you know, as we start getting older, you know, our bodies no longer wear, work the way that they used to. And so I think that uh, in general, spiritual life is not as as much as I would like it to be very linear and very clean. You know.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Wouldn't we all? <laughs> if we yeah. got like a how-to manual at baptism, <laughs> and then we just followed the steps. <laughs>
1: exactly. You know. right? But you know, that's the beauty like that comes, you know, also from the Benedictine tradition, mm-hmm. I think that Every day we need to start anew, you know, Mm -hmm. every day we need to show up as beginners uh, and and be humble and listen with the ear of our hearts to that voice of God that is there to guide us Mm -hmm. and every day we need to kind of reposition our lives, you know, respond to that voice that almost silent whisper of god that speaks to us through scripture but also through our friends you know mm-hmm. through things we read through nature um and you know our goal is to be able to say yes in a mm. more and more complete way every day uh and and that's a messy process
0: amen <laughs> Amen. It's messy, that
1: to, you huh? think is, Isn't that why your podcast, but also your 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 website and blog, is called you know Messy Jesus Business?
0: Exactly. <laughs> That's why I always end with this question, because I um, I'm always so interested in how people experience the messiness of of living the gospel and being faithful to Jesus. And even and, you know, uh, my
1: tendency is like I would love to just have like nicely organized boxes where i can like place things in and it all makes sense and it's very clear and maybe where i could even control like right how it involves, but that's just not how it works
0: yeah no, right <laughs> and
1: that's yeah. a good thing right
0: exactly it's, it keeps us on our toes keeps us healthy um it remains that it, it requires us to be in this constant state of Okay, clearing out the junk, letting in the new, <laughs> we got to cl- declutter our hearts and our minds so that the grace of the spirit can full- flow more abundantly. Yeah, oh. and we
1: can generate some freedom as we go yeah. on and joy, which yeah. I'm very good at joy. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: I As any good Franciscans should be there. <laughs>
0: That's right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Adam. invite you to join me in this contemplative moment. This is a prayer for contemplatives by Carl McColman. O Holy Trinity, we come to you in silent prayer, seeking only to love you and adore you beyond all words and thought. Grant us the grace to long for you with such humble desire that we return to the fountain of your mercy each and every day. Foster in our hearts quiet confidence that we may know you and follow your will and trust you in steadfast hope. Lead us to the vast haven of interior silence that our distracted minds and anxious hearts may be calm and rest in your boundless compassion. Most of all, inspire us to love you fully and to love all our neighbors as we love ourselves, so that in us you may truly be praised and glorified. Make us one with you, for truly your beauty is our joy, your heart is our life, and your silence is our peace. All this we ask in the name of Christ, our Savior, Healer, and Lord. that's another episode of Messy Jesus Business. Thanks for listening. Messy Jesus Business is produced, hosted, and edited by me, Sister Julia Walsh, with assistance from Cherish Bidzinski. You can find us online at MessyJesusBusiness.com and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you like what you heard, could you please do a few things? Share with your friends, subscribe wherever you find your podcasts, and leave us a review. Plus, I'd love it if you could support us on Patreon. Thanks! Messy Jesus Business is produced in partnership with the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. You can learn more about our religious community and donate to our mission at www.fspa.org Thanks. I'm Sister Julia Walsh and I'll catch up with you next time. Until then, peace and all good.